you are experiencing HR After Dark, solving the people problems that keep you up at night. We exist to make the people part of business easier for leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and business owners of all kinds. And thank you for tuning in to HR After Dark. I'm your host, Jada Willis, CEO of Willis HR. And today we have a absolutely interesting guest, Jeffrey Klein, the story guy. I'm excited to hear his path and helping him even guide us on what's your story? How do you impact you know, your audience from that, that marketing perspective? He's going to teach us a lot today. So I'm really eager to welcome him and learn more about Jeffrey. So Jeffrey, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And so I'm eager to get started, but I really, I mean, I, I know that I'm looking at your bio, I'm looking at your background, your website as well, but I, I know that you've even worked alongside with Seth, Seth Godin. And so how did you even get there though? That's a, that's a long way to, you know, start and be branded as the story guy. So tell us about yourself. Well, I have had a very nonlinear path to my story, uh, but I think that is part of what makes it interesting. Uh, I'm, you know, born and bred in Philadelphia. I was at, went to school at Amherst College where I was a sociology and English major, which pretty much prepared me for nothing. Uh, I wasn't really had any practical skills. Uh, the theory is that though I was a good critical thinker. And the reason I picked those two kind of um, majors was because I was interested in film studies and creative writing. Those were the kind of things that that drove me. And so the idea of having a story was something that I always believed in from kind of very young age. Uh, my parents liked to joke that when I would go see a movie, I'd come home and it would take me almost as long to tell them the story of the movie as it would if they were to go see the movie themselves. Oh uh, so I like the details of, of telling that story. But when I graduated, I, I had friends in New York and I had applied for a bunch of different jobs um, and got rejected from a lot of different jobs. And I, I came across, I you know, at the time, Seth Godin was not Seth Godin. Right. He was, you know, doing uh, popular reference, making uh, coffee table books, for, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And so I applied, and the interview was particularly interesting. He, um, they're in kind of uh, Westchester County in New York, and I went up to interview with him, and he asked me, I think, I, I think the question was, how many gas stations are there in the United States? It was a very um, consultant question where he didn't really care about the answer. He wanted to know how I thought about it. And I did enough for him to then offer me the job. And he is an amazing guy. And the fact that he's gone on to be as successful as he is did not surprise me. But I was pretty young and, and immature at the time. And I worked on, strangely, my passion for movies. I worked on a book, the People Magazine Entertainment Almanac. And it was it was super fun. I got to go and try and find stats and, and you know, bio of celebrities and things that I was already kind of interested in. And but then I kind of got pulled. My family has a long tradition of the legal tradition. And I think part of it, I wasn't quite ready to embrace uh, the genius that was Seth Godin. So I ended up going to work for a law firm and then going to work, um, going to law school. And I went to Temple Law School back in Philadelphia. And people joke I was a law school dropout because after my second oh my year, I left and moved to California. Uh, I had the, the dream to work in the film industry. And so I think that's part of the reason uh, at the time marketing didn't do it for me. It wasn't enough. I wanted to really be part of the machine that made movies. And so I was really lucky. I got a job working 
at a talent and literary agency, and I worked in the story department. So that was my first job in, in the big film industry. And, and what that meant was I read a lot of really bad scripts and had to write the equivalent of like book reports on them. Yeah. But I loved it. It was awesome. Uh, and that parlayed into a job working for the president of production at Paramount Pictures and then working for the president of production at MGM. And I was living the dream. I was the small little cog in the machine, but I was seeing mm -hmm. from start to finish how movies got made. And it was awesome. Right. Wow, that's a that's quite the story, and you know that's only the first half. I know I was only that's what I was gonna say is you know tell me about more about what you're what you're doing now. Well, I'll just finish connecting the dots, which is what sure. I like to do. Um, so I, I always joke with people that the real dream happened while I was in LA, which is I met and fell in love with a girl. Um, we ended up getting married, and when we started thinking about family, we didn't have any family in LA, so we ended up moving to her hometown, Manchester, England. And so I went from one of the sunniest places to one of the rainiest places, because Manchester is a lot like Seattle, lots of rain. Mm -hmm. And I ended up starting a business with my father-in-law and then taking it over in real estate. Uh, not really creative. And the theory was, oh, I would write at night and you know in the wee hours. And what filled up that kind of discretionary time was I had three kids. And so I found myself kind of frustrated, not really enjoying you know collecting rent and dealing with repairs, I was like, this, I gotta get back to working in a more creative environment. So I ended up saying enough is enough and I have to find something else. And I took another job working for a, a design agency that did logos and brochures and brands and websites and I fell in love. And I was like, this is the perfect match. Marketing was the perfect match for my right and left brain because it enabled me to be thoughtful and, and structure the law and real estate, but then to really embrace my creative sensitivities and look for ways to use that creative process, that creativity to help businesses do better. And so I did that and we eventually, uh, my wife and I moved back to Philadelphia. I worked for an amazing brand marketing agency uh, for a couple of years and then started my own company. And then that's evolved. Nine Dots now focuses primarily on visual content. So we do graphics, video and animation and we get to tell these visual stories and help businesses you know, connect with their audience. Wow. That in itself quite the journey quite the story and it makes complete sense all of that was preparing you for for what you are doing today and obviously are passionate about and love so with our listeners there are a lot of entrepreneurs business owners and leaders that are listeners across the world and what what advice would you give them whenever you're thinking about your quote-unquote story you know and should they even be thinking about their messaging whenever it comes to, I guess, either their audience, ideal audience, all these pieces. Give me, give me some insight here. Well, you know, it does, I think, start and end with the audience. And I think one of the um, places that businesses fall short is that they're looking to say great things about themselves and, you know, talk about their features and their benefits and what makes them so good. You'll see companies saying, we're the best this or we're the best that, and not really remembering that nobody cares what you do. They only care about what you can do for them. Mm -hmm. And that what's in it for me is what you have to tap into. So I teach at Temple and, and one of the concepts I created to try and help my students remember about the importance of audience was I said, I created what was the 11th commandment, which is know thy audience. And so I think any company, whether it's a startup or a big company, needs to understand and get to know their audience as best they can. Because until you know your audience, you're not going to know what story to create to help that will resonate with them. And the second piece is, so 
once you know who your audience is, you need to figure out how you're helping them. And so it's about crafting the story in a way so that they know that they have a problem that you can help them with. So we developed a tool to help people do that, a very simple tool wow. called the, the story pad. And the story pad, the P-A-D, it's an acronym, stands for you know what Aristotle has, the fundamentals of any story have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so the P-A-D represent the beginning, the middle, and the end of any story that you're going to tell you know, about your business. And so the P stands for the pain or the problem of your customer. So again, you've got to get right the action right into what matters to the listener or to the viewer, because unless they find something that's going to resonate and connect with them, they're going to skip on to the next thing that's important because of the problem. There's so much information. I'll talk about that in a minute. So you have the problem. Okay, great. Now the second part of your story, the A, the middle, is about the answer to that problem or your service, your product that's going to help them cure that problem. And that's where a lot of people stop. They start with a problem and come up with a solution, and that's their story. But the D, I think, is actually really important. And the D is the end of the story, and it stands for the difference or the impact it makes in the customer or the client's life or business. So that if you, you know, thinking about, oh, I have this problem, you know, I have a headache. Don't worry, we have some medication that will help you solve your headache. And what will be the result? You'll be able to smile and laugh and play with your family. So it's about kind of closing the loop of the story and for them to get to understand that from their problem, not only are they going to remove the problem, but what the results and the impact will be once they've done that. Makes sense. And I think, you know, as a business owner, I, I love hearing this. It's kind of like I'm also going through how we are, you know, doing some of our marketing content and it makes sense. But as an HR professional, I'm not even sure that you realize this. I'm not sure if it's even something that you'd be thinking about, but also this is actually a really good platform or, or even acronym to apply to giving employees and being able to even communicate effectively with your audience, like thinking through that pain point and, and giving those, those answers or um, advocating next steps. And so it's really neat how there's external branding, but there's also internal branding. Have you ever thought about that correlation? A lot. So when I worked for a brand marketing agency, I worked with a certified brand strategist who had kind of, you know, seeped herself into that world of importance of brand from the inside out methodology. And I drank the Kool-Aid. So for me, any brand and the way they, you know, establish what is important to them starts inside the company, inside the organization before you even go outside. So understanding the inside story, which is a, a talk I give, is about understanding what is it that makes you as an organization tick and making sure that everyone in the organization is on the same page. Because your employers, and they show this, there's two really important elements of culture. One is you have to have engaged employees. And if they buy into the story of what you're about, the why behind why you do what you do, then they're going to be engaged. And when they're engaged, you have more productivity, you have more retention, and you, you just end up having, it actually impacts your bottom line by having a clear internal brand that makes sense for people so that they can then externalize it all across. So we talk about you know hardwiring it into the organization so that people understand what you're about, no matter when you're, because you're going to have all these different touch points with clients and customers. And if everyone's understanding and has internalized the brand, then it's going to be much more effective in when you externalize it. 
You're absolutely right. There was this really, I'm trying to remember what happened with Nike that I thought was really cool. You could walk around to every employee, even at, in the, in the warehouses distribution, and you could ask, you know, what is the, the mission? Have you heard about this? Yeah. In fact, they have, I still think he's still there. They have an executive called the chief storytelling officer. Uh, and well, as part of their, that's the power. Yeah. They, they, they've realized that as have a couple other, uh, big brands where they understand that you know story is super important. And so when you join Nike as an executive, okay. they actually have a two-day onboarding course about the story of Nike. And so that from early on, people understand how important it is their story matters. And so yeah, they're another company that uh, I always find interesting. So their PNG has hired Hollywood directors to come and help their executives understand the power of crafting stories. Um, my favorite, though, is 3M. A number of years ago, 3M actually uh, banned bullet points on presentations. In oh, presentations. wow. And instead, what they did was they started to teach people what they referred to as corporate narrative. And so they started to get people to understand that when you're communicating, the most effective way to communicate is not with all this data and information, but in fact, by telling a story. And there's actually science behind it, which I find fascinating. That is so interesting. And I think it, I mean, it's further evidence to say the the level of importance and impact back to the even the thought pattern with, with Nike is and what you were saying is that if the employees have this messaging, they're also ambassadors. So you're already, it's, it's kind of like, you know, a total win of the internal and external branding because at the bare minimum, there's then the storyteller for that organization. So it completely makes sense. It's in my wheelhouse to start thinking about what well, your mission and core values, but then what are your, for me, what are your policies and what are your procedures that relate back to the mission and vision and values? Is that all working together? Because that ultimately will be a story. <laughs> it will lead to further employee engagement and or or not. And so I think that there's totally cohesion into what we're, we're discussing today. And so if, you know, our, our clients, our listeners would like to get in touch with you to learn more about what you do, how would we go about doing that? Uh, you'll have to find me. I, I wander a lot around. Yeah. Now, uh, the easy... <laughs> The easiest way to find me is through uh, my company website, which is ninedotsmedia.com. That's the visual content company. And then for me to, you know, I go into organizations and do workshops on how to tell your story and things of that nature. And that's kind of my speaking arm, which is ggkline.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, which is a lovely, easy way for people to get in touch with me. And my email is Jeffrey, my name with a G, at ninedotsmedia.com. So that's the easiest way to, to reach out and connect. Perfect. And all of that information will also be listed in your description and we're going to make sure that we're sharing this across our platform and and work as well but any final uh tips or thoughts on just the the power of story and visual communication from your perspective well we haven't talked that much about the visual component and so i'm going to leave you with a story because it's a powerful story that i think about a woman that shares my worldview. So it's it's about a woman named Coco Storvis. I don't know if you've heard, you ever read about her or heard about her. So she, uh, Coco was a, a, a socialite who was really uh, in the underground movement back in the late 50s, early 60s. And she had kind of this label as being the most connected person in the world. And because she had had relationships with world leaders and politicians and business people and artists and kind of 
everyone around. And the reason she was so good at being connected was because she was a master communicator. She really understood how to connect with people. And the reason she was so good at connecting with people was because she told amazing, engaging stories. And people would be you know, on the edge of their seats as she would tell these stories and they'd just want to hear more. And she was also an artist. So she would have these parties at her Soho gallery where all these different people from walks of life would come. And she would have these, back of that, it was really innovative, multimedia. So there'd be film and there'd be art and there'd be all this visual stimulus connecting with people as she told her story. And so she became known as the most connected person in the world. And what I love and find most fascinating about Coco's story is that she is in fact a complete figment of my imagination. <laughs> she represents my worldview. So I usually have a graphic and I can send it to you, but it's, if you think of a uh, kind of a bullseye with different rings, um, if you start from the outer ring, what is the goal of human existence? It's to connect with people. And what's the best way to connect? By being a very good communicator. What is the best way to effectively communicate is by telling a story. And what's the best way to tell a story is through visual content. And if you take the first letters of each of those words, connection, communication, story, and visual, you end up with Coco Storviz. Sounds so familiar about this. I'm like, have I either heard this before or yes, that totally makes sense. Oh, love it. Well, I made it up. I don't know that I haven't, I haven't trademarked it yet, but I'm planning to. Really? Um, really? Coco, okay. Coco, Coco and I are very special. <laughs> sounds very familiar. But um, well, thank you so much. It's it's definitely been enlightening, and I and I and I really believe that you're able to help so many leaders and businesses and organizations. And so I really want our listeners and clients to get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about how you can help them as well. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, Jada. I really appreciate it. Take care. Take care. And we hope you get some sleep tonight. <laughs>